He'll make a way through. Some of you are worried about your jobs. He'll make a way through. Some of you are worried about friendships that have been uh, crisis struggles, whatever. He'll make a way through. He's a way maker. He, res- he untangles relationship messes. And I know none of you ever get in a me- relationship mess, right? But he untangles them. He under- untangles difficulties of life, needless to say. Now, today I'm going to teach you the name that Mary used for Jesus. This is the word she used to call him her baby. She called him Yeshua. Yeshua. Say that with me. Yeshua. That was the Hebrew Aramaic uh, word for, for Jesus. I'm going to explain what all that means in just a moment. But that's, I wanted you to know what Mary called him. When she looked in that baby's eyes and she said, Baby Yeshua. That's, that's how she used that language. That was her word. Here is very important information for you. His name, Yeshua, means Yahweh the Lord. Jesus or, or is salvation. Uh, Lord and salvation are kind of two words that uh, we have to be kind of watchful of because Jesus is Lord, and, and they kind of run sort of together. But Jesus, Yahshua, is Lord, and that's what his name means. The English spelling of Yeshua is Joshua. We, if we say it in English, it would be Joshua, and he has the same name as the Old Testament, Joshua. So when translated into Greek, uh, his name becomes Jesus. When you go from Yahshua into Greek, it becomes Jesus, which is easy for you to understand how we get to Jesus, okay? But those are the, all the names that uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament use for his name. So Yahshua, Yahweh, Yeshua, all are the names of Jesus. One of my favorite singers who has gone home to be with the Lord, Dottie Rambo. Some of you have heard of Dottie, heard her sing. And she wrote a song. I'm going to just read you some of the words. And, his, and uh, Master, Redeemer, Savior of the world, Wonderful Counselor, Bright Morning Star, Lily of the Valley, Provider and Friend. He was yesterday. He'll be tomorrow, beginning and the end. But the angel called him Jesus, born of a virgin. Mary called him Yeshua, Jesus, but I call him Lord. Forget my scratchy voice. Oh, just throw money. Just throw money. Then the second verse, Jehovah, Messiah, mighty God and King, bread of life, lasting word of love that I sing, light and darkness, door to heaven, my home in the sky, the fountain of living water that never shall run dry. A lot of names. He's known by a lot of things. We call him a lot of things. Isaiah is going to describe him today in a different way than you're used to thinking of him. Isaiah has a phrase for him that Isaiah is famous for, and he's called, Isaiah calls him the suffering servant. 
So if you, anytime you're reading Isaiah, that, that's Isaiah's mind picture uh, that he wants to, to let you see. The suffering servant. He calls him that. In fact, we'll read it in just a moment. Now, there are two different pictures that we find of Yeshua or Messiah in the Old Testament. Two different pictures. The one picture is, that is, comes out is one of a king. And we think of him in his majesty and his purple robes and crowns on his head. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the picture Old Testament Jews had in their mind for a Messiah. And they were looking for that Messiah. They wanted this Messiah to come and throw off the Babylonians and the Romans and anybody else that was conquering them at the time. They saw this Messiah coming, and he would throw them off and be king and powerful world ruler. The other picture that we find in the Old Testament is of Isaiah's suffering servant. This one who comes not as king, but as comes meek and mild and humble and suffers and dies for us on the cross. Those, both of those pictures are painted in the Old Testament. Uh, there is a way to harmonize those two. How can we look at them and, see, and understand them? Well, first of all, we have to see they're two different portrayals. They're two talking about two different comings or advents. You see, Jesus came to the earth 2,000 years ago in the first advent. When he came the first time, born in Bethlehem, he was a baby. He was humble, meek, mild. He grew up and became a suffering servant. Isaiah is going to tell us about that as we read down through some of his writings. But the second time, the second thing we see is he's coming in glorification. We live between the two advents, the advent of the, of the birth and the advent of the second coming. We are caught in the middle of that. That's where we live. We're waiting for the king to come. The servant, the servant came. He died on a cross for us so that we could be saved and free. And we're waiting for the king. And so the Old Testament blends them together and weaves them together, which causes some confusion to the Jewish people. And today I'm going to explain a little bit of why Jewish people, and if you're listening today and you're Jewish, I want you to understand why it is you're a little confused about Jesus if you've not accepted him yet. By the way, many of your brethren have. <clears throat> Jesus was talking to John in the New Testament in 539, if you're reading the book of John for just a moment. And he said these words to John. He said, you Jewish people diligently study the Scriptures. In other words, Jesus spoke to John and to all those who said, look, you, you Jews, you, you read that Old Testament, man, you dig into that. You look, because well, they didn't have a New Testament yet. So you dig into the Old Testament, and you look at all these verses and all these scriptures, and you're looking in there uh, about that. And Jesus said, you Jews diligently study the scriptures. These are the scriptures that testify about me. He said to them, they're talking about me. All the, and that's what he said in John chapter 5. On the road to Emmaus, after, after the uh, resurrection, Two of the disciples were leaving Jerusalem, going to Emmaus, and they were walking along confused, not knowing what was going on, how to explain everything. Jesus had, 
had uh, been, rumors had been voiced about of him being resurrected and appearing a few places. They were talking about that, confused. They were walking along the road, and another man walked up beside them. They didn't recognize him. They just kept talking, and another guy walked, another walked up. After a little while, Jesus spoke to the two confused, discouraged disciples on their way to Emmaus. And he said these words, how foolish you are. Not a good conversation starter, I'll tell you. I mean, that's not the way to win friends and influence people. But Jesus said, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And, the, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the Old Testament scriptures concerning himself. So he went down through the Old Testament scriptures, and he gave them a crash course in, in Old Testament background and, and study, and pointed out to them on these disciples on the road to Emmaus, this is what, they were talking about me. They were talking about me. This is about me. This is about me. And didn't you know, he said, that Christ would have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. So he's explaining then that two-vision sort of understanding that the Old Testament Jews had, and even today Jews have, of not accepting Christ. They're looking for the king, not the suffering servant. And the suffering servant didn't work for them so much. We'll talk about that quite a bit more. Now, friend, today... You and I are much like those disciples walking down the road to Emmaus. We need to meet the real Jesus. We need to meet the real Messiah, the one the Old Testament talked about and and pointed to over and over again. That's what you and I need to find. Because, folks, if you don't find the real Jesus, you may find a substitute. And that substitute may be a corporate Jesus or a... uh, a national Jesus, or maybe even a family Jesus, but he's not your personal Jesus. He wants to be a personal friend with you. He doesn't want you to know him in any other kind of relationship other than personal. So today, if you've looked for him in anything else, today he says, come and be my friend. Leave that behind and come and walk with me. Let me walk with you in your life. Be, let's be personal. So we've often looked deeply in the New Testament of Jesus. We've tried to find him. We've looked in the New Testament. We've studied the New Testament, you know, from Matthew all the way to Revelation. We've dug deeply trying to find Jesus in those New Testament scriptures. Now today, let's backtrack. Let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah 53, written probably near a thousand years prior to the birth of Jesus. Don't hold me to those... those dates uh, exactly, goes when, we're not sure how that was, but somewhere very way back in history, Isaiah wrote, Isaiah 53. When you read it today, you're going to be looking at it through New Testament eyes, and you're going to see things today, and you say, oh, yeah, that's Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's pointing to Christ. Oh, yeah, pierced, but for my transgression. Oh, yeah, crushed. I get it. It's all, but Isaiah didn't even know a thing about the crucifixion and about this. He just wrote it prophetically. Having, and it was so beautiful for us today. So we'll dig into that as we get to it. So who is Jesus in the Old Testament? That's what we're trying to find. First of all, he's the long-awaited Messiah, but they didn't recognize him. He's the long-awaited Messiah. He's the one that, that was spoken of in the book of Genesis. He's the one that Abraham 
was told about and look forward to uh, uh, looking for a city not made with hands. He's walked with me down through the, the Old Testament. All of those people, all those prophets, those, this is who they were looking for, this Messiah. But when he came, they did not recognize him. Turn to 53.1 now, and let's read it. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I have often read this and thought it was just poetic language. I just thought this was just a beautiful way to start chapter 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been shortened? Until I read it with the, uh, with the eyes and looked at it through the eyes of a New Testament Jew. I believe Isaiah was prophetically writing to the New Testament Jews, to those who would come and, be, and experience the real Jesus, the Yeshua, who died on a cross. I think he was talking to them. Now, that's speculation. I don't know that for a fact. I think he's writing for all times, but especially those first, test, first century Jews who were experienced Christ in, in their life, and, but they couldn't sort out all the traditions and the truth. And he said to them, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, hey, dummies, the Lord has shown you all this stuff. It's you. Wake up. I think that's exactly, in my opinion, what he said. These unbelieving Jews will want to know. So he says, who has believed, or, or why have you not believed? And why didn't you see the arm of the Lord to whom it was, was revealed? Now, what is the message that was revealed in Christ but was a stumbling block to the Jew? And if you're listening today, either in this room or wherever, you're listening today and you have a stumb- you've stumbled over the crucifixion. You, can, you can't believe your Messiah have, would have to die. You, you're looking for a king, uh, a world changer, a ruler, an, 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 an emperor to rule the world. Well, he's coming. He just hadn't got here yet. He came the first time as the suffering servant. He's coming back as king of kings. So don't give up. You just, he just has the, he's not showing you that part of himself yet. So the, cru- the crucifixion was a stumbling block because he was not what they expected. He wasn't what the Jewish people were expecting. He just didn't come. Let's read uh, verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. They didn't see him coming. Now, you, you many old farmers in here uh, my age, you've, your granddad or your dad put you, gave you a, an axe and put you out and said, chop, this, chop uh, uh, sprouts, cut down those sprouts. Well, you do that one year, and guess what happened next year? It come right back up <laughs> like a sprout out of dry ground, right? Didn't see it coming. Thought, well, well, you know, that surprised me. We cut that off, and there it comes right back out of dry ground like a shoot, out of, a root. Or a shoot out of dry ground. See, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. What's Isaiah saying? He didn't come like a king. You expected purple robes, majesty. You expected pomp and circumstance, marching bands and drum corps and bugles. No, he didn't come that way. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Nothing in him physically is going to be attractive. Now, that doesn't mean he's ugly. 
I don't, I don't think Jesus was an ugly man. But I don't think it was his beauty that attracted people to him. It was an inner beauty, a moral strength of character. There was godness in him, and it drew people to him. The purity and honesty that was in him, people were just attracted to him. And Isaiah says, I want you to know it's not beauty. And I want you first century Jews to know it's not beauty that's going to attract you. It's something far better than than physical beauty. Let me speculate a minute. Would you let me? This is just pure speculation. I have no idea, no truth. I'm just speculating. Have you heard of the Shroud of Turin? This, you've heard of it? Okay. It was the burial cloth that they wrapped the body of Christ in, or wrapped a body in, uh, and a crucified body, by the way, uh, with whips on the back and nail-pierced hands and crown of thorns bleeding. Okay, you with me? Pretty good proof that this might have been the very body of Christ. The Shroud of Turin wrapped him in it, and something happened that caused a negative impression on that shroud, like a flash of light, and burned an impression on that Shroud of Turin. I'm still speculating. But they took, down through the years, we've had the Shroud, scientists have had the Shroud and artists, etc., for a long time. And they've drawn, they've got a picture, a modern picture of him, what his face would look like. And then some Italian, I think it was an Italian sculptor, took that picture in the dimensions of the shroud, etc., and built a, 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 a body, a wax figure, or whatever, a body of this person. And he's not an ugly person. He's just a normal Jewish man of his age, under, somewhat under six foot tall, and typical features of a, of a, Jewish man with a beard. So I don't know, but this guy in the Shroud of Turin, he wasn't beautiful, but he wasn't ugly. And I think Jesus was just a normal person. But they were looking for something else. He was, he's not what they expected. He also came as the suffering servant. And I talked about that. Let's read more about it. In verse 3 is where we come in contact with that phrase, suffering servant. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Well, what is going on here? Was Jesus despised and rejected by mankind? Was he a man? Of, did he suffer? Yeah. Was he familiar with pain? Was he, when you look at him, was, was he like somebody you would cringe and turn your face from? You would, you would, you would want to look at him because... Something wasn't right. What was it? Hang on now. You're about to have a great understanding of this. They hid their faces from him, and, and they held him in low esteem. Why did they do all that? Let me try to explain it. I believe Jesus was naturally a, a, a man, not, excellently, not tremendously good-looking, just normal. But there was something about him, his bearing, as it were, as he carried his life. He was... A man of suffering, a man familiar with grief, a man bearing pain, not physical, but spiritual pain, knowing what he was here to do and what he was going to have to do to pay for your sin and to cover your wasted life and your fallen nature. He knew the cross was ahead of him, and he bore that in his body in his, as well as his spirit, but he bore that in his life. And he became a man of sorrows, rejected by mankind, familiar with pain. Why is that? 
because of what he was doing for you. What his inner beauty is what drew people to him. It wasn't, but he was a man who bore the marks of pain and suffering. Well, let's look at, at another thing about him. He was and is to this day still very misunderstood. And quite honestly, he's still misunderstood by even some people in the room today. He's misunderstood. Uh, let's read it. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. You see, some people can't accept Jesus because they think he did something, he surely did something wrong to have to bore all that pain, that humiliation, to have to go to a cross. Surely he did something wrong and God was punishing him. Well, yes, that's all right. Absolutely right. God was punishing him because Jesus became your sin and mine. And Jesus and God poured out the entire wrath and justice upon him, and he bore our pain. He took our stripes. He went to hell so we could go to heaven. He died so we could live. That's what exactly was going on. But we misunderstood that. Surely he took our pain and suffering. You know, we, today, I've I got to be honest with you, I'm guilty of this too. I'm sort of judgmental in the fact uh, that when somebody, let's say somebody dies, and the first thing I'll ask is, well, what was wrong with him? In other words, I'm insinuating something wrong. He did something, she did something wrong, or they wouldn't have died. Duh, everybody's going to die, okay? But don't you do that? You want to know, did he have a heart attack or a car accident? What? Because, you know, if I had been doing that, I probably wouldn't have done it. I take vitamins and I, you know, and I drive under 55 mile an hour all the time. So he, he must have been doing something wrong. Come on, you, you know you're just like me. You all think, if we, uh, well, that'll never happen to me like that because I'm perfect. Well, sorry, you're not. Neither am I. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. And they considered him punished by God, stricken by him, by God, and afflicted. It was like God was doing this to him. They thought he was being punished. And, by the way, he was. I get tickled at, I think about this thought. When Jesus was going to the cross, I think Satan was excited and thrilled. He had been working all of Jesus' life to get Jesus on the cross. (laughs) And then when he saw him on the cross... All the Old Testament prophecies, which Satan knew well, began to filter back into his puny little pea brain. And he realized when Jesus was on the cross, he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And he said, when I'm on the cross, I'll save the world. And Satan began to scream in terror and horror at what he had done. I believe if those Romans had had a chance to redo the crucifixion, they would not have crucified him. I think those Jews who agged him on would have said, no, 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 let's let's don't do that. And I, I think I know Satan was sad about it too. They misunderstood the crucifixion. Let's read verse 5. But he was pierced. Now, remember, this is many, many, many years prior to Jesus' life. But he was pierced. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, or by his stripes, we are healed. They had it wrong, my dear friend. He was pierced for our transgression. What do you mean by pierced? Remember Isaiah. By the way, did you know Isaiah's people, Jews of that time, didn't even have crucifixion in their life? I mean, they hadn't even heard of it yet. Are you aware of that? That was a punishment invented by the Romans. Okay? Isaiah came a long time before that. So he didn't even know about it, and he wrote he was pierced for our transgressions. How was he pierced? Well, the crown of thorns crushed down on his head. He was pierced in his scalp. He was whipped, and his wounds from the back. He was pierced through his hands and through his feet. He was pierced with a with a spear in his side, went into his heart. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed under the weight of the cross. Whether he was crushed under it or on it, they were pushed him down on it. They crushed him down on the cross. And by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. It was all these wounds, these insults to his body, these injuries that healed us, healed us spiritually. See, remember, they were expecting Messiah to be a king, just like King David. And when, the, when they took their King David and they crushed him, pierced him, whipped him, and put him on a cross, it confused them. Jesus came, but they forgot he came as a servant. But he's going to come back the next time as the king of kings. You see, the humiliation of the cross caused them to dismiss him. But the second coming will be the greatest eye-opener for the world ever. Remember last week I said, and when the world, when he comes back, the world will mourn at his coming. Many will mourn because they will realize for the first time that this is the second advent. We missed it. We didn't understand it. But he is coming again as king of kings. Now, 2,000 years have come and gone uh, since the first advent. We don't know how long it's going to be before he comes back. Now, he's coming back, but we don't know when. I, and I think many of you suspicion that it won't be long. I think we're close. I think we're coming very, very close to the second advent when he breaks those eastern skies and comes back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to me. I want you to know this. Please listen carefully. Yeshua is Lord, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Yeshua is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee. Now, here's the catch. Every knee will bow. So you're going to bow your knee to, the, to Yeshua in this life or the next life. Here is, as I said, here's the rub. If you don't get it done on this side of the grave, you can't get it done on the other side of the grave. When we flatline, when we leave this world, we lock down all options. They're over for us. There are no options after you die. The only options are on this side. So if I'm going to tell you today, bow, that, bow your knee to the Lord. Bow and confess and let your tongue confess He is Lord. Yeshua is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do it now in this life where it matters, where it will make a difference for your eternity, where you can be with Jesus forever and all those other friends and neighbors and family that have gone on that knew the Lord. Do it now. Many Old Testament and New Testament Jews have missed Him, but you can find Him today as your Messiah. If you'll come to Jesus and believe in Him 
and trust Him with all your heart. Next Sunday morning, Lord willing, uh, uh, Reverend Mark Zimmerman will be preaching for us on Sunday morning here at the Cowboy Church. I'm going to take a little rest uh, heading into the holidays. I will be here, but he's going to be filling the pulpit. Uh, Mark Zimmerman, former pastor in Ozark, Missouri. You're going to be blessed by this young man. Uh, young man, he's he's not my age, but he's 60-something. And uh, Sorry, Mark, I don't know. Maybe you're not that old. For, I hope you Anyway. But you're going to love him. He preached for us here a Thursday night, not too awfully long ago, and the people loved him. I've never heard so many wonderful comments from that service when he preached here on that Thursday night. So I said, won't you come back and preach some Sunday morning? And he said, okay. And he's so booked up, I can only get him next Sunday. And so he's going to be here next Sunday, and he will be preaching for us here in our uh, Sunday morning services. So we're looking forward to that. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Go in peace. Make sure you know who Yeshua is, Lord. That's who Jesus is. Let's pray together. Lord, I stand beside old Dottie Rambo this morning, and I want to just call out all the names that you are. And, boy, you're a lot of, you're a lot of things to us. But I'm just so glad you are Yahweh that saves. You're the Old Testament God of the I Am, and you're the New Testament Yeshua Jesus. And today, that name is so precious. That is a name that we say when we're in trouble. It's a name we say when we're dying. It's a name we say when life confuses us, or we're tired or depressed. We cry out, Jesus. Lord, that name is a saving name. And like I just pray today that there's some people in this room who will say that name today, truly mean and truly accept that the I am, the Lord, the Yahweh, is the one that saves. And come to them, to him in salvation. In Jesus I pray, amen. If we'll uh, turn to page, to page 31 in the garden. Sorry, let's do it in D.
close us in prayer. Father, we thank you that it's possible to have a, a joy that we've never known before. We look for that all our lives. We look for a bit of eternity in our life here on earth. And it just isn't here. But we thank you that you've provided a future for us that we can enjoy and that we can take part in and that we can have joy without ceasing forever and that we might live forever with you. And we just pray that you be with us in this troubled world. Be with those who are trying to make sense out of all this chaos. We have people even in our congregation working in medical fields, and they have to make decisions that I would not want to have to make. There are those who are military leaders, even in this congregation, who are having to make decisions that I would not want to have to make. And there are just so many people who are, who are helping. Those who are leaders in this congregation, sometimes we don't give them the support and understanding that they deserve because they make decisions every day that I would not want to have to make. And we just pray that you'll be with each and every one of these people and be with us. Help us. Give us strength. Give us compassion. Give us your grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.